try to keep that faithfulness in mind as we uh, turn to Mark chapter 4. We're in the midst of parables. As we uh, talked about last week, parables are tricky because they both reveal and conceal. And um, <clears throat> sometimes we think we got them when really we don't. So hopefully we got this one this week. Uh, We'll be looking at uh, verses 21 through 25. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It will be, and still more, will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, grant us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. Help us to know the riches of your grace and wisdom. Help us to believe what you say to us. Help us to do what you tell us to do, building our house upon the rock. Use this time and use these words to accomplish your great purposes for us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I don't always do things in the proper order in which they're supposed to be done. Uh, it's fun because now we have a child in math who's doing order of operations. And you, if you don't do things in the right order, you get the wrong answer. Uh, well, sometimes there are things you can do in the wrong order and it still comes out right. Not all of life is like a math problem. Um, but generally, what happens is a young man has his heart set upon a young woman And uh, while they're still dating or courting, whatever your preference would be, uh, what you think Scripture uh, tells us to do, uh, he buys an engagement ring. And there's a period of time in which he keeps that engagement ring hidden, particularly from her. He might show his best friend or his parents, see what I got, and this is what I'm going to give. Aren't you excited for me? Do you think I got the right person? That kind of thing. Uh, But at some point, uh, what was hidden becomes revealed as he presents it to the woman that has stolen his heart, so to speak. And if she says yes, uh, then that shapes life in a very different way than it has been shaped thus far. Things change. You live in light of the fact that now you have given this ring to someone else and they wear it on their finger but you're still living in anticipation of a yet greater day when a ring shall, another ring shall be placed on their finger and one shall be placed on yours. And uh, the, great, the commitment that you already experience becomes even greater and the blessings that you already experience become even greater as well. There's sort of a, that engagement phase is sort of the already not yet uh, of 
relationship, so to speak. You're already committed, but not yet fully committed, shall we say. Steve, why in the world are you talking about marriage when it comes to something like this? Well, because I think that's helpful in understanding what Jesus is getting at within the context of these two sayings. Um, And the the question that first uh, gets asked, I believe, or answered rather by Jesus, um, is uh, how do we respond to the mysteries of the kingdom that are revealed? And we've talked about this last week, and and we talked about the previous two weeks and looking at the parable of the sowers, that uh, all of these parables and these sayings really have to do with the mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom. Uh, They're mysteries in that they were once revealed, and now they are revealed. And they are given to those who are in faith or in Christ by faith. And so we're kind of back to that question of, of how are we to respond to the mysteries of the kingdom revealed. Uh, Jesus, as I mentioned, um, addressed this in the parable of the sower. He addressed it from his quotation of Isaiah 6, but he's about to give another angle on this. Because he's not said everything that needs to be said. He said what he said is is necessary, but insufficient. And Jesus is adding another angle to this particular story so that it comes out more fully. So, there are some who characterize these these as sayings, not parables. uh, But I believe that they are parables in the broader sense that we've mentioned in the past few weeks. And so this particular saying or parable begins this way. Um, Is a lamp brought out or brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not a stand? It's kind of weird when you think about it. How Jesus is stating the obvious uh, you, you don't, in those days, of course, you have the, uh, those older lamps, the clay lamps that have the olive oil in them. And you don't light the lamp in order to bring it into a room so that you can then stick it under a basket. You might put it on top of a basket, but not under a basket, nor would you stick it under a bed. Under a bed would really be bad because then now you're either going to extinguish it or it's going to set on fire and you have bigger problems than not being able to see. You have a little too much light. This is similar in some ways. Jesus brings up this idea in the Sermon of the Mountain, Matthew 5. He has a similar saying in Luke chapter 8 and then another similar saying in Luke 11 about this idea of lighting a lamp and whether or not you put it where it belongs, on a stand, or whether you put it under a basket. Lamps are important because they shed light. doesn't matter whether they're made of clay and they burn oil, or whether they're electric and use light bulbs. Their purpose is the same, and you do the same thing with them. You put them on a stand so that that light is able to be seen throughout the room. I don't know why I thought of this this morning, but I thought of my dad, and I remember during the 1970s when we were having the energy crisis, and uh, I had that conviction, as many young people have convictions today about the environment and stuff, uh, you know, the energy crisis, got to turn off those lights when people aren't in the room, and uh, my dad was a notorious um, lever-on of lights. I think my father might be the reason for climate change. Um, (laughs) 
Uh, I'm just kidding about that. Um, but here's a case when you want the light on. Okay? You want to be able to see so that you can do things. It's not simply to have the light on, uh, but you need the light on in order to read. You need the light on in order to do work. Because apart from that, you can't live at that moment. You might as well just go to bed. Okay. Jesus is pointing out the obvious to us, or you're using the obvious that people understand. In this case, uh, the, the message of the kingdom is represented by the lamp and the light. Okay? Uh, in other words, the, this message that Jesus brings comes in order that we might see by it. Uh, that we might be able to live and work by it. So that we might live more wisely and in line with creation because of it. And this is a reflection of what we see in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It shows me how to live. And the message of the kingdom that Jesus was bringing uh, to his disciples and to the crowds was one which was intended to be acted upon and which enabled them to act in line with how they were made. And so we should see that the Christian faith is not just about the world to come, it's not simply about eternal life, but it is also about this life in this place in this set of circumstances. It's about this world, the present. That little ring that a man gives to a woman is not just about that day in the future when when they get married, but it's also saying something about the time between those two times. That I'm going to be faithful to you in those times too. I'm not going to wait until we get married to be faithful to you, but I'm starting right now. I'm going to begin to shape my life around you now as we begin to plan for a wedding. I'm not going to start when we get married. And so there's that already not yet aspect to it. And so that's the way it is as well with the kingdom. We have information. We have light now intended for us to begin to shape our lives now to live by the light of the gospel now. That's where Jesus makes this, uh, again, strange sort of statement. Um, Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. So it's hidden not just for, you know, like a game of hide and seek, uh, but it's hidden in order that it might be made revealed. Every secret, uh, nothing is made secret except that it would come to light. This is hard to understand in some ways. But we see throughout uh, this gospel and the other synoptic gospels, Matthew and Luke, uh, this reality of the messianic secret. Okay, uh, Jesus did not usually come right out and say, I'm the Messiah. Hello? 
that waited because, because of the profound misunderstanding of what the Messiah would do, we have what is often called the Messianic secret, where Jesus is acting as the Messiah, but is not necessarily telling everyone he's the Messiah. Okay? And with that, there is sort of a hiddenness of the kingdom, Now, both of these things, the messianic secret and the hiddenness of the kingdom, were not meant to be permanent. They were going to be revealed, and Jesus is in part revealing them, or revealing the kingdom through these statements. He's beginning to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom. Well, we've come to a point where Jesus has died, Jesus has uh, risen again, and Jesus has ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is openly proclaimed as the Messiah. And, And those who believe are able to see the kingdom to a degree. They know that they're part of the kingdom. We are, in fact, citizens of the kingdom, as it says in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 19. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Philippians 2 reminds us that our citizenship, uh, sorry, Philippians 3, uh, verse 20, that our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, In other words, that we're part of the kingdom. The problem is not everyone recognizes we're part of the kingdom. Meaning the people in the kingdom don't see the kingdom. Wait a minute, I got that wrong. The people not in the kingdom (laughs) don't see the kingdom. The people who aren't in the kingdom don't recognize you as citizens of that kingdom. There's, there's still some element of hiddenness to it uh, that continues to exist even though the king, this kingdom spans the globe much more profoundly than the wide world of sports. This kingdom is not seen by chariots or tanks. This kingdom is not seen by banners or flags. This kingdom is not seen by political rallies or elections. I mean, if you went to the original audience of this gospel, most likely, it said, the the saints who were in Rome, uh, they would be able to tell you and show you clearly uh, that they were in the empire of Rome, the kingdom of Rome. There were signs of it everywhere. Uh, There would be banners. Uh, You would see some centurions there to keep the peace. Not the armies, but there would be some centurions to keep the peace. You'd see uh, the regal Roman senators roaming about the city, at least if you were in a good part of the city, Probably not if you were in one of the bad parts of the city. But there'd be signs everywhere that indicate that Caesar's in charge and you're not. It's not that way with the kingdom of Jesus. Uh, He has no army. Uh, He's got no military mechanism. Uh, Contrary to what some churches have, there is no flag that Jesus has instituted. 
But we see in places like Isaiah 61, which is why I had Marty read it this morning, um, that the kingdom is seen by the gospel preaching. It's seen by the opening of eyes of the blind. It's seen by people who are being freed from their bondage. Not political bondage, but their spiritual bondage. And so we're still in this place where we see the kingdom, but the kingdom is not going to be seen in its fullness and by everybody until Jesus returns. And so as we think about the Lord's Prayer, that phrase, thy kingdom come, becomes a little more pertinent to us. Uh, That part of what it means for us to live by the light is to be praying that regularly. Thy kingdom kingdom come. You don't have to use those words, but that is the sentiment. It can't be simply Maranatha or come Lord Jesus come, but it's the recognition uh, that I'm tasting the kingdom, I'm in the kingdom, but the kingdom has not yet come in its fullness. Bring it. I'm tired of the injustice. Bring it. I'm tired of the poverty. Bring it. I'm tired of the sickness. Bring it. That should be the cry of our hearts. Bring it. Tired of the sin. Not just their sin. Tired of my sin. Bring it. Thy kingdom come, Lord Jesus. Take what you've already begun and bring it to its fullness. Bring it. And so you're to live by the light that Jesus has given you thus far. Well, let's move to the next part of this. Uh, As good Presbyterians and Reformed people, who most of us in this room are by confession, um, we tend to stress God's sovereignty Is there any element of human responsibility? And I think Jesus answers that for us in uh, verses 23 and 24. I didn't fix the typos. My wife fixed them for you. I I still have my typos. Uh, And apparently there's a number of them in my notes. (laughs) Forgot to get them this morning. Uh, God's sovereignty does not eliminate human responsibility... And Jesus here is pressing in on that element of human responsibility. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, we see God's sovereignty in that part where it says, if anyone has ears to hear. The only way you can have ears to hear is if God opens your ears. As uh, mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, uh, John Newton's hymn, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder, He has given us eyes and He has given us ears. And I was excited to see that we're going to sing that in the next coming weeks. Um, He gives eyes and ears. But there's a responsibility to utilize the eyes and ears that He gives. Not, Not the physical eyes and ears, but the spiritual eyes and ears that He gives. If you have them, hear or listen This is a call to pay attention to Jesus' teaching, Jesus' preaching. 
uh, not just to them, but also to us now as we read it in the scriptures and hear it preached in pulpits or go to community group and hear God's word. Grace, the grace of these new ears and eyes brings with it responsibility. Uh, this morning in the teens class where we were talking about the will from the Westminster Confession. And uh, I reminded them that uh, in, in the chapter on God's eternal decrees, it mentions that God does no violence to the will of the creature. Okay. Reformed theology, at least the Presbyterian style in the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, teaches that people have a will and they make choices. And the question is whether or not their will is enslaved to sin or not, or whether it's been, been set free by Jesus or not. But we have a will, and we utilize it every day. When I've talked to some of my uh, friends who were, say, Pentecostal when I was in seminary, uh, I remember in particular one classmate uh, in the counseling program, um, I was his peer counselor, and we were, we were talking about theology, and he had never heard that phrase from the Westminster Standards because he had always sort of understood that those Calvinists thought that people didn't have a free will. Nope. Right there in our confession. There it is. The problem is whether it's free or not from sin, but it freely chooses nonetheless. And so Jesus is saying, you have the ears, you better listen, you better pay attention, which is exactly where he goes next. (laughs) Pay attention to what you hear is a translation of behold what you hear or look what you hear. Look or pay attention. Uh, You know, that word behold can be used as pay attention to something, but there's there's the oddness of it when you listen to it it's meant to be alarming it's meant to be jarring to a sense of of look to what you listen to make sure you're listening to the right thing and if it's the right thing uh, that it's beginning you're beginning to live by that right thing that's the key you are not only accountable for what you actually believe. But Jesus here, I believe, is saying that we are also accountable for what we hear, whether we believe it or not. Meaning, if the truth has been shown to us, we're accountable for it. We're accountable for rejecting elements of the truth. And so, uh, listening to a sermon is not meant to be a very passive exercise. Uh, It's not sort of, you know, well, you know, I'll I'll, I'll find the one or two things that are really good about what Steve said. Uh, Hopefully you find at least one or two good things about what I said. But we're accountable for the truth that we hear. The truth that's presented to us because we are intended to live by that light. 
you are accountable for the truth that you hear, but that you don't respond to or live by. And I want to tell you a story from my time in Florida. And, and I remember distinctly um, two conversations with the same person. Uh, the first conversation took place in 2001 when uh, this person uh, set up an appointment to come see me. Um, I kind of wish more of you would do that. Okay. Um, I like to see you and hear, hear if you have a problem. I like to do that. Um, and she had come to see me and she had said to me, Steve, you're killing the church. That's just what every pastor wants to hear. <laughs> it, it was strange to me because the church was growing. Very strange to me. Uh, and, and it had to do with the length of my sermons. N- none of you have ever had a problem with the length of my sermons. Okay? I know that. Anyway, she was part of a group that had begun to emerge that was very dissatisfied with my ministry there. And as it turned out, um, the other members of this group left uh, within the next mm, 18 months, I think. Okay, That's always exciting when you're about to get married. When you're engaged and you have people um, starting to form a rebellion <laughs> against you. <laughs> so anyway... Let's fast forward. This person stayed in the church despite her discontent with me. And at one point, uh, eventually, something I don't know what happened exactly, um, but some, turner, some corner was turned. And fast forward to about 2007, the church has been renamed, the church has moved to another location, and things weren't working out, and, and um, it was difficult. And the same person came to me and said, we didn't listen to you. Why didn't we listen to you? Uh, She was recognizing that there there was truth that was being communicated to them that while they heard they were not living in light of and now they were experiencing consequences that they didn't like. And we'll get to that a little more in a bit. But we see in places like Ephesians 1, when Paul is praying for the people of Ephesus, the Christians who were there, he says that they might have eyes, the eyes of their hearts enlightened. And so Paul's not thinking that all we need to do is is come to faith in Jesus and everything is okay afterwards. But there's still an ongoing need for the veil to be removed, for us to see clearly, so that we can begin to believe and act upon what the truth is. And so uh, we should not only pray, Thy kingdom come, uh, but we should also sort of pray, Thy will be done in the sense of Enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Father, help us to see the truth so that we can believe the truth, so that we can act on the truth, which is what Paul is getting at in Ephesians 1, so that they would be filled with the fruit of faithful living. 
it begins with the heart. And it's a heart that either hears or doesn't hear. A heart that either believes or doesn't believe. That is receiving truth or is kind of holding truth at bay. I kind of like Jesus, but I'm not so excited about what he says on this subject. So we'll ignore that for now. I don't want to hear what Jesus says about my finances. Or I don't want to hear what Jesus says about my marriage. Or I don't want to hear what Jesus says about being a child uh, of parents or being a parent. Or I don't want to hear what Jesus has to say about, and you can just pick any number of things, being a good employee, whatever. But there they are, and usually it's like, I'm not sure I'm excited about that. And we begin to tune out Jesus. But here's the funny thing. You've still heard the truth and are still accountable for the truth. And so we see that Jesus gives abundant truth and grace to those who live by the light. Well, if we're held accountable, how is it that people are held accountable for the truth that they hear? And Jesus addresses that in verses 24 and 25. Jesus sticks with experiences that would be common to the people that are listening, the people that are in his audience. He talks about measures, and that's a little different for us. We tend not to think about measures a whole lot. Um, But this is basically back to the basket. The basket was a bushel basket. It, it, it carried a peck. Now, you know, when you're wondering about how many peppers are in the peck, you know, that Peter Piper picks, it's about a bushel. Okay? It's a basket. Okay? Um, but the basket was supposed to be the right size. Okay? Um, you were not supposed to basically have two baskets. There, there's the basket for when I buy which is slightly bigger, uh, and then the basket for when I sell, which is slightly smaller, so that basically I'm skimming, okay? I'm enhancing my profits, and I'm sticking it to whomever I'm buying it from, okay? Um, Same thing happened with scales. Uh, Sometimes uh, someone at the marketplace would have two sets of weights, the weights for when they're buying and the weights for when they're selling. So again, uh, they're buying more than they should and they're selling less than they should. We try to avoid this. We, we, you should notice this. When you go to the pump, don't you wonder sometimes, how do I know I'm getting one gallon when it says I'm getting one gallon? Well, There's supposed to be some sticker on there that tells you the last time it was inspected to make sure you get one gallon of gas when you're paying for one gallon of gas, that you're not getting only, you know, 0.99 gallons of gas, which when you think of how many gallons get pumped by that each day, it's small to you, but it's big to them. So, we we have the same problem today. Scripture condemns that practice. Leviticus 19, for instance, you shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights 
a just ephath and a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the land from which, by which they were oppressed or taken advantage of every day. We see similar passages in Deuteronomy 25, 14 and Proverbs 20, verse 10, that God hates these unjust measures. There are no longer supposed to be double standards. Jesus says, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. No double standard. God is going to mete out justice to those who wanted justice for themselves, but not for other people. When it all is revealed, when the kingdom comes in its fullness, all are going to stand before the white throne of judgment. James speaks of this in the second chapter, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Okay? That was the measure. No mercy for you. What's going to be measured to you? James says, no mercy. James wants them to be merciful. That triumphs over judgment. And so Jesus applies this in, in two directions. That measure that you use that's going to be given to you, there's a positive way and then there's a negative way. And the first is the positive. He says, for the one who has, will be give, more will be given. Okay, this is the good part. <laughs> this is for those who have received the light. This is for those who live by the light. If you live by the light, you're going to receive more light. In increasing measure. Uh, If you have gospel blessings, you're going to continue to get more gospel blessings. God's going to multiply these benefits to those who believe in Jesus, that He is the Son of God eternally, and that He is the Messiah who's come to save. And you kind of think of it as similar to back to that marriage thing. Uh, Engagement is good. Marriage is better. You get more blessings There's also more responsibilities in marriage, but there's more blessings in marriage than there are in in engagement. But you don't get the marriage without first going through the engagement. Okay? Although I don't recommend long engagements. So, um, in our world... There are, there are people who believe in Jesus Christ, who have uh, many spiritual blessings, but materially they are impoverished, they are oppressed, but one day they're going to be exalted. It's not just China. It's not just North Korea. Okay? The country that I, I, I was going to pray for but didn't uh, from Voice of the Martyrs is Bahrain. And they talked about the oppression there, the restrictions that are there. And, and in Bahrain, it's uh, largely, it's a little bit of government official oppression, but most of it's family, family and neighborhood, community, where you become a Christian and you lose your job, you lose your house, uh, you, you become impoverished in, in that sense. And there are Christians all over the world who experience that. And, and we're seeing... Um, some people starting to push that here. But Jesus wins. 
I want you to remind, remind you of that. And that while uh, you might be pressed down by culture, just as the Roman Christians were pressed down uh, and impoverished by their culture, one day uh, all of us will be exalted with Jesus. But now comes the bad part. For the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Okay? The has not it has to do again with the kingdom. They're, they're not, they don't have the kingdom. They're not citizens of heaven. Uh, okay? they're, they're still in Rome. <laughs> That's the sole citizenship they have. They're still in America. That's the sole citizenship they have. Unless you're one of those you know, people who has dual citizenship like the Canadians over there. Okay? But that would be all they'd have. Their earthly citizenship. And so for people who only have an earthly citizenship, who are still part of the, the, the kingdom of darkness, even the earthly blessings they have are going to be taken away. This happens both in earthly judgments and in the eternal judgments. And, and this week I, I, was, I read John Newton's sermon um, about such a nation as this. And he, he goes to Jeremiah for his, his uh, text, and there's three times in Jeremiah 5, verse 9, uh, as well as verse 29, and then in chapter 9, verse 9, all your references are there, it's all okay. Uh, he says, Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? And, I shall, and shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? And the... the, the occasion for this um, longer-than-usual sermon by John Newton uh, was a national day of fasting in 1781. What was happening in 1781? Anybody? Somebody? Any historian buffs? Yeah? (laughs) Yes. Yes, the American Revolution is going on. Okay? Which, which for Britain was won in a series of wars uh, in that, that time frame. It wasn't like, wow, that came out of the blue. Uh, there's a war going on, but this was in a series of wars. And Newton um, is laboring uh, to remind the people that were listening to him of the great wickedness of their own nation. It was not about... Those lousy Presbyterians in America are ruining everything. Uh, He was focusing on the fact of of Britain's departure from the truth, which was revealed amongst the ways that he mentioned the increasing national debt that they experienced, in part because they kept fighting these wars everywhere. we got to fight France again. Uh, He mentions that essentially they had fought most of Europe uh, during that, that period of time. Okay? They'd fought Germany, they'd fought Holland, they'd fought France, uh, dealing with Spain. All of these different wars that were kind of going on. So you have this national debt that builds and builds and builds. And it's funny that the kinks were still singing about the national debt uh, back in the 1980s for England. But uh, the promiscuity that was becoming increasingly prevalent within British culture, uh, the uh, the economic oppression uh, that was common then. Uh, I can't remember when slavery was removed in England. I can't remember if it happened yet. But it was during Newton's lifetime that it was ended as a practice. But you had 
the oppression of people from Africa in England. Okay? We ain't the only one, folks. So, you have that, but you also had a, a state church, and in order to have a government job, you had to be a member of the state church, which essentially is enforcing hypocrisy because you're saying you're a member of the church and that you believe in Jesus Christ, and you had to periodically partake of the Lord's table even though you didn't believe in order that you'd have that job. The nominal Christianity that was legalized, similar to kind of what we experience, not, not in a legal sense, but in an expectation sense, that we expect all of our politicians to be Christians and that they walk up and they say that, oh, yes, I am a Christian, even though they really don't believe it. And so, Newton builds this case for the increasing sinfulness of England and mentions how God has been warning them through these wars, uh, the certain... um, Hurricanes. Funny how he mentions hurricanes back in 1781. But uh, the hurricanes were not caused simply by natural uh, things, but are controlled by the hand of God and, and afflicted parts of the British Empire. As warning signs, Newton thought about the fact that they had been going astray and they needed to repent. That there is a God who does hold nations accountable, not just Israel, not just Britain. Because it is such a nation as this, and nations, implication, nations just like it. There's going to be a revealing of the true kingdom, and when that true kingdom of Jesus is revealed, all the scoffers and all of the rejectors of the truth will have the earthly blessings stripped from them. And they will wish that they had believed. Because not only will it be stripped of them, but they will experience a judgment that is worse than words can convey. And so we see unfortunately, that Jesus takes away everything from those who won't live by the light. If we were to kind of take these three things and kind of pull them together, I I think what we'd have is um, live by the light now to enjoy the light forever. And if that sounds like work salvation, you haven't, you, you've missed the context of it. Because the only way you can live by the light now is by faith in the light of the world, Jesus Christ. So, often, unlike me, a man buys an engagement ring, hides it from his intended until he's ready to propose. He then reveals it, and if they are wise, it will change how they live. Greater commitment as they move towards marriage. 
Those who live this way arrive at the desired day and enter into an even greater commitment with greater blessings and greater responsibilities. But if you don't live by that light, you probably won't enjoy that day because she'll wise up and dump you. In these parables, we see how we're intended to live by the light that's given in the mysteries of the kingdom. They are intended to change how we live now. And as we live by the light, we receive more light than ultimately enjoy the ultimate consummation of the kingdom when Jesus returns. But if we don't live by the light, all our earthly blessings are stripped away in judgment. Does the light matter? how you live today? Are, are you living by the light you've received? If you are, take great comfort and consolation in the afflictions that you experience. Uh, but if you're not, Jesus bids you to repent. Jesus bids you to come unto Him by faith. Jesus bids you to begin to do what he teaches so that um, you begin to live in the light and everything changes. Let's pray. Father, it's hard to, world, to live in this world. We get weary. I get weary. <laughs> but I thank you for the promises that you've placed before us. I know I'm in the light because I can see. And you've changed how I live. And even though I'm not the man I want to be, um, I'm not the man I was. And that's all because of you what you have done for me in Jesus. And so help me and the rest of us to, uh, to receive more light and live more consistently with that light so that others are able to see that we love Jesus. We trust him that we are, are gazing upon him and his glory and we're becoming more glorious as a result. And so, Father, refresh us with this truth, with this hope, with this joy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.